Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, Boris Johnson loses control of Brexit. I don't want an election. The public don't want an election. The country doesn't want an election. But this House has left no other option. The Tory party hits breaking point. My colleagues, if we are being purged now, who's next? Yeah! Who's next? And Jeremy Corbyn wrestles with an election dilemma. That the offer of the election today is a bit like the offer of an apple to Snow White and the Wicked Queen. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Ned Simons. Hello. Hi Ned, how are you? Not bad. You're fulfilling the Paul War role this week because he's away. Oh, no pressure then. Just um... <laughs> no Is that because I'm bald? Is that just the... <laughs> ah, get the other bald guy in. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Uh, also with us is Rachel Wearmouth. Hello. Hi Rachel, how are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Good, yes. good. And our guest this week is the former Conservative Special Advisor and Newington's Managing Director for Public Affairs, Chris White. Hello. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Thank you. Well, Parliament came back with a bang after summer recess, with holidays fading into distant memory as MPs seized control of the Commons to pass a law aimed at stopping at no-deal Brexit. Boris Johnson responded by trying to force a snap general election, but the opposition isn't playing ball, and the Conservative Party looks at risk of breaking completely. Let's hear Boris Johnson explaining why we need an election now. Seeking as it does to force the Prime Minister with a pre-drafted letter to surrender in international negotiations. And I, I refuse to do this, Mr Speaker, and it's clear that there is therefore only one way forward for the country. The House has voted repeatedly to leave the EU, and yet it has also voted repeatedly to delay actually leaving. Ned, the PM's lost control of the Commons, but are things actually that bad for him? Well, yes, I think. I think, <laughs> I think the you know, I mean, you, he's lost his majority. He's kind of expelled 21 of his own MPs and triggered a backlash. Um, he lost his own brother this morning, which, um, you know, that's not a good look, is it? Um, so things are bad. Although I think, you know, for him, he could argue once he has his election, which will come at some point, you could say this reinforces the idea that it's the kind of establishment Westminster world against the people, against him. So perhaps electorally it could work for him. But I think the argument it's all part of some grand plan might be a bit of a stretch. Yeah, Chris, do you think Joe Johnson is a bit of a tipping point? Uh, his resignation. Well, I, I think it's probably like that you're going down a really long slide and it just got a bit steeper. So I'm sure it's like a, a kind of tipping point as such as just kind of you're cantering uh, much faster towards an election. I think it's kind of, it's been inevitable that there's going to be an election at some point. You can't run the commons as it's being done. You've got this bizarre situation where... Uh, you know, the, the government can't legislate, the legislature won't change the government because it can't find an alternative candidate because everyone's so 
rubbish, um, and uh, it's just unsustainable. So yeah, it was. It's going to lead to to an election, and probably next week, I think. Yeah, Chris, uh, Boris Johnson failed to in his first attempt to get mm. an election under the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, where he needed a two thirds majority, and, yeah. and Labour abstained. Um, are there other routes? You were a special advisor to the Commons leader, so you know all about this stuff. Yeah. Are there other ways he can bring about an election? And what do you think he might go for? So first thing to say, fun fact, it's I think like uh, we have to create a new category of how we classify that vote because like, normally you just kind of win or lose. But they won, but also lost. So, <laughs> they, you know, because they, it was like, I can't remember what it was like, 300 versus 48, but you need yeah. 434 yeah. MPs to kind of pass that supermajority of two thirds. So the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, which is a wonderful piece of legislation that uh, I had a very small part to be involved in and, and now hate uh, with a vengeance, <laughs> um, was uh, it basically gives you two routes. One is that two-thirds supermajority, which worked in in 2017 when everybody wants an election, um, or you have this no confidence vote, and you've got this bizarre stalemate at the moment where Labour don't want an election until the legislation to stop a no-deal Brexit is through. Uh, nobody wants to change uh, the PM because the alternative in the leader of the opposition is is so bad. Um, they, I mean, those are the two normal routes. There is another way you can kind of legislate to amend the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. So there's been a lot of talk of going around doing this kind of one-clause bill which sort of says, notwithstanding the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, great word that, it's kind of Chris Choate word, but there we go. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you, you effectively you pass legislation uh, to, to sort of say, right, this time we're going to set the date of the general election, uh, we'll rattle a bill through the Commons and Lords in a day and we'll progress from there. But it has massive, massive problems with that. What, I mean, what are the problems? Is that because it can be amended itself? Is yeah, so they'll amend the hell out of the bills because it just gives you another opportunity um, when the government doesn't have majority, basically, to go in there and start playing merry hell with it and trying to amend it and find new ways to block no deal. Not, I mean, not that they need that because they've got this emergency debate rule, which a speaker seems to have kind of invented to, to create that opportunity for uh, backbenchers to take over over the timetable. Um, can I just ask you about the fixed term parliament? If Johnson goes for a motion of no confidence in himself, and it, that's also, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah you, because you can, he could engineer a vote of no confidence in himself by a friendly backbencher, but then he's, as you pointed out, Ned, he's just sacked 21 of his own uh, MPs, so he doesn't have a majority anyway. So that doesn't work. Let, let's say he's, he did do that and succeeded. Mm. Then there's this 14-day period yep. that there's loads of uncertainty about. Now, as you said, he's sacked <clears throat> 21 rebels. We'll come on to that. Yeah. He hasn't got a majority. So if he goes down that route and it's successful, would that then create a 14-day period where Corbyn could go to the Queen and say, I want to be PM, in theory? In theory, but the, the there's kind of... So the incumbent PM who, who loses that vote of confidence stays as the PM because you, until an alternative candidate presents themselves and effectively proves, you know, that's not defined in the Act, uh, that they have uh, a majority in the House and they're best placed, then Johnson stays there. So effectively, the, uh, the, the Commons kind of has to unite behind someone. That someone then kind of either through, like, people signing an early-day motion or perhaps a coalition agreement as happened in 2010 then effectively the Queen will say, right, you're now best placed, possibly on the advice of the outgoing Prime Minister as well. Uh, And then they appoint that person all within this 14-day period. And then also within that 14-day period, they have to win um, a statutory vote of confidence that says that this House has confidence in Her Majesty's Government. But the key thing is that it's Her Majesty's Government, not, you know, name X person. So they already have to be appointed the PM before they have that vote of confidence. Unlikely then. 
Uh, I mean, at the moment, but uh, as you, as you <laughs> I mean, you know, what's unlikely? I mean, every day is oh, a yeah. new kind of thing. And also, as we as we get closer and closer towards the the thirty first of October, and the options narrow and narrow and narrow, who knows what MPs might decide? I mean, they may change it their mind and, and the other thing is of course Ken Clark is like uh, uh, now an independent and may be more attractive to uh, Labour MPs because I think when he was a Tory I think a lot of MPs were like well represented a Tory austerity etc etc and now he's this sort of paragon of independence so who knows Brings me to my next point, strategy. Um, all summer since Boris Johnson was made PM, people have been kind of praising Dominic Cummings, his chief of staff, as some kind of political genius. How, how do you think that reputation is now, Rachel? Um, well, he's obviously the mastermind of vote leave and he's brought in by Johnson to um, sort of convince the Brexit party voters that they, they've, they've lost to get back on to get back on board. But I, I get the feeling that he's come, become really divisive and that he's become the story. Um, and it seems like there's a growing perception that he actually could be more powerful and influential than Boris Johnson himself. Whereas a lot of polls are saying that voters would really like a kind of strongman um, prime minister. But if, if you have an advisor that makes you look weak, I don't know if that will continue to to work for him. I think sort of Margot James, the business minister, the former business minister, who was um, one of the Tory rebels who was sacked this week, kind of summed things up when she got up and sort of fed Margaret Thatcher's lines to the to the PM and said, you know, advisors advise, ministers decide. And she kind of said, bear that in mind when it comes to Dominic Cummings. How long so. do you think he wants to stick around for? I mean, you mm. know, the, the kind of thing about advisors not being in the public eye and having to go. But if it's if his kind of desire is to just deliver Brexit, do you think he does he care? I mean, well, we hear this line again and again and again, and it's not 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 been confirmed or denied by Dominic Cummings that he's not a member of the Conservative Party, um, and I think that's not playing very well with Conservative MPs at all. Well, he actually turned up to a lobby briefing this week yeah. and stood in the corner and was asked whether he was a member of the Conservative Party, and he kind of refused. I wasn't there myself, but he refused to answer and just deferred to the spokesman. <laughs> <laughs> I love these stories of him marauding around the gallery and PCH, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clutching a glass of wine. Just <laughs> <sort> <laughs> Heckling the leader of the opposition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was fascinating because Tim Shipman kind of put something up and then deleted it because it sounded so ridiculous as almost as if it wasn't true. And it turned out that, yeah, he had kind of was holding a bottle of wine and heckling <laughs> the leader of the opposition. I mean, and then, you know, there's, there's the meeting with um, Philip Hammond and, and the Prime Minister just before the vote, I think it was on, on Monday or, or Tuesday. And, uh, and there he was sort of hanging around just... Um, outside the PM's office where there's a little sofa where a few people can kind of sit and sort of heckling the, the people that the PM's sort of nominally trying to persuade. I mean, David no. Gork on the Today programme, was it, whatever it was, might be a year ago now, probably like a day and a half, he suggested that it kind of Cummings was goading um, the rebels into rebelling. Do, do you think there's much credence to that? I mean, there was a story in the Telegraph and Mail that he'd kind of sworn, I think, at Greg Clark on the phone when Clark was trying to get a deal. Do you think it's a deliberate strategy, Chris, to... Or, uh, I couldn't pretend to know what's going on in Dominic Cummings' <laughs> mind. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, Do you think there's a grand plan? I mean, I think there's a very clear line going on at the moment that it's it's uh, people versus the parliament, and uh, Boris Johnson and, and the government are trying to put themselves on the side of the people. I, I heard this week that they're sort of kind of road testing some kind of slogans of like you know trust the people and 
uh, for for a potential election campaign, and that's that's really interesting for me because it's kind of you look at every decision and you look at it in that light, um, and and actually it kind of doesn't matter what's almost going on in Parliament because ultimately as long as he gets his election, um, then he can sort of position himself on uh, you know the PM and the team on the side of the people, and 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 then it becomes a kind of referendum on you know this. I'm sure they'll say something like this rotten Parliament. You know make sure you vote Tory and we'll, we'll deliver the, the deal. Um, Chris, your time as a spad overlapped with Dominic Cummings, didn't it? Did you come across yeah. him much? What was he like? Uh, so I didn't really... I mean, I had one of those weird roles where I was kind of cross-cutting across because I was in the Whip's office and Leader's office and I kind of cross-cut across a huge range of departments. And, and um, so he was in DfE and I tended to deal more with his, one of his colleagues uh, just because... Um, Henry was a bit easier to deal with, to be to be honest. Um, and also, I find it, you know, really amusing because Dominic Cummings is like um, has sacked. I don't. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I don't find it amusing that he's sacked uh, a special advisor. I find it amusing that he's railing against the leaks uh, of of people uh, sort of putting stuff out and then sacking people on it. When actually, when I was there, Number Ten was incredibly frustrated because they knew it was Dominic Cummings doing all of the leaking. Um, so it's sort of like you know, turn the page. It's like you know, okay, so you were doing it, and now you hate people who were doing you know one rule for well, one. Like a, much like cabinet ministers getting in trouble. Well, who rebelled. Um, under Theresa May, uh, now other ministers are in trouble for, or backbenchers now get in trouble for rebelling. Well, indeed, in a move that appeared to have the hallmarks of Cummings, Johnson attempted to head off the rebellion by threatening to sack all the MPs uh, who voted for the Commons takeover <laughs> in an effort to stop no deal. Uh, it meant the sacking of 20 MPs, including several former cabinet ministers, the father of the House, Ken Clark and Sir Nicholas Soames, who is the grandson of Johnson's hero, Winston Churchill. Is he? No one ever mentions that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As as we've mentioned, Joe Johnson, uh, Boris Johnson's brother, has since dramatically quit the party. Let's listen to some of Soames' emotional resignation speech. Mr Speaker, I'm not standing at the next election, and I am thus approaching the end of 37 years' service to this House, of which I have been proud and honoured beyond words to be a member. I'm truly very sad that it should end in this way, and it is my most fervent hope that this House will rediscover the spirit of compromise, humility and understanding that will enable us finally to push ahead with the vital work in the interests of the whole country that has inevitably had to be so sadly neglected whilst we have devoted so much time to wrestling with Brexit. I urge the House to support this bill. Ned, is the purge sustainable? Well, again, I mean, like Chris is saying, if the idea is to transform the party, have an election, you know, does it matter what's happening now? If the entire goal is it's just to kind of win an election, you want to have MPs that support your plan. I mean, if you have a general election, aren't all Tory MPs going to have to kind of sign up to a manifesto that says no deal is fine and we're happy with it and we want to go for it? So if you're an MP who doesn't think that, I don't know what kind of situation that puts you in when that happens anyway. Although obviously there has been quite a big backlash to the, the, the purge, as it were. Javid today, I think, said that they should be let back in at some point. The Sun this morning had a report that, was it Amber Rudd and Michael Gove and um, I think uh, Nicky Morgan said that Boris should change his mind. So maybe there might be some kind of way to creep back. I think another thing that was interesting was Boris has said that MPs who don't vote for whatever deal he comes back with will also get kicked out. I think he said what's good for the goose is good for the gander or whatever. So I wonder if longer term it does set him, put himself in a good position. I, I, 
Yeah, I was outside the 1922 yeah. meeting last night and Johnson was challenged on the purge by at least four MPs. Uh, and he responded by saying it was his decision, but he couldn't now undermine the chief whip. Uh, and he also tried to defend Cummings and said it was all down to Johnson himself. He was exposing himself and taking off the latex mask, <laughs> at which point he mimed taking yeah. off a latex weird. mask, which so one weird. MP said was effing weird <laughs> to me afterwards. I don't get the latex mask. Am, am I too innocent? I don't understand the latex mask analogy. <laughs> well, I think the idea is that Cummings... The is, latex yeah, like, there is no Boris Johnson. <laughs> there is no Boris Johnson. It's just a... Yeah. I don't know. It's just Dominic Cummings. I don't know. Chris, is this the end of the party as we know it? Uh, I, th- I think the party's going to change. So I think this... But the, eh, political parties change all the time. They're a living beast. It's not Things aren't set in stone. Um, I, there was a really interesting interview on Con Home by, with my old boss, Patrick McLaughlin, who um, uh, actually sort of set out that the very point you made, Ned, that actually, you know, there's going to be an election, people have to sign up to the manifesto, you know, the party has made a choice, they've, you know, they've elected uh, Boris Johnson as leader, um, and, you know, he gets to sort of determine what the rules are, and he won, you know, convincingly. So, um, but I can't help uh, feeling, uh, you know, really sad about it, because the parties, you know, political parties do have to be broad churches. We have to, you know, try and attract people from not just one segment of, of society, but as much uh, a cross-section as, as possible. And it, and it is utterly bizarre that you have, you know, all these former cabinet ministers until, until six weeks ago, six weeks ago, were sitting around the cabinet table, you know, trusted privy councillors, you know, making decisions in the country, and then kind of they're kicked out of the party. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I can't help but feel, you know, that, that there will there might be some way back and it may be that if they agree to sign up to the manifesto uh, that you know they might be allowed to stand again but then there's also this thing I've and I still I haven't seen the rules myself but apparently David Cameron in sort of 2006 put an appeals process in that if you get the wit withdrawn then you can kind of appeal and pending that you are still a conservative MP so I spoke to a very senior source last night who suggested that there could be a way back for the rebels without sort of specifying how so I mean I hope one to watch I think. yeah I hope they are because I think there's a lot of people who, who've been kicked out who frankly have, still have a lot to offer the party and it's you know I, but I completely get why Boris Johnson has kind of taken the decision because you know we're at this point where the Conservative Party a lot of people think and I can sympathise with kind of have to deliver Brexit you know, we've been talking about it for three and what is it three and a bit years now and uh, you know they're the party in government and the PM has to, to, to deliver Brexit and Johnson's kind of backed himself into a corner with this as well because he's had to now say if hardline Brexiteers don't vote for any deal that he brings back from Brussels he's suggested he would sack them too do you think that's going to happen? Well, I think that kind of depends on whether there's going to be any deal coming back from Brussels, which at the moment doesn't (laughs) seem very realistic. I mean, he's kind of painted himself into a corner in the sense that he said the backstop has to go. um, And the EU has clearly said, well, no, the backstop isn't going. And what are we now? Sort of three and a bit weeks from... Well, no, sorry, I keep forgetting it. It feels closest. Seven weeks from... from, uh, uh, from leaving and I just can't see that changing so I don't expect 
there to be something coming back, a deal. But if there was, I mean, how many MPs are going to be in the Conservative Party if that happens? Because <laughs> the, the ERG, about 100 of them, uh, Andrew Bridgen, Marc Francois and others have sort of said, you know, even if the backstop goes, they're not going to vote for the withdrawal agreement, which yeah. is a bit bizarre because that's the kind of mechanism for exiting the EU. So what, do they want us to stay? Yeah, Steve Baker, the new ERG chair, said that again this yeah. week as well, so it doesn't bode well. Rachel, you were watching a lot of the resignation speeches. Um, how are they doing, the rebels, the sack rebels? Um, I feel like that it's, it's, it's like a mixture of emotions. I think they all they don't all feel the same way. It's not like a united position, I think, because some of them really want to, to vote for a deal. Um, I would say it's kind of a mixture of sadness, um, anger, and a bit of snark. <laughs> um, I, d- I don't feel like they're, they're they're ready to back down in any way, shape, or form at this point. Yeah. And Ned, one of the rebels preempted getting sacked, Philip Lee, by dramatically getting up from his seat and yeah. walking across the Commons chamber as Boris Johnson spoke to sit with the Lib Dems and join the Lib Dems. Ex-Labour MP Luciana Berger has also joined the Lib Dems this morning, so. Good news in the short term for the party, but they've got a bit of an issue in the long term. Yeah, it, it is good news for them. I think that obviously the Luciana one got a bit overshadowed today by Joe Johnson, but they're up to 16 MPs now, which is not bad considering they're on wherever it was before, like 11 or something. But I think there is a, a longer term worry for them that the more they accept ex-Tories and ex-kind of new Labour MPs, there is a worry that it might dilute who they are. I mean, when Philip Lee joined, uh, I think the chair of LGBT Lib Dems stepped down because of Philip Lee's previous comments about accepting migrants with HIV. If you start accepting the kind of more new labour types, there might be concerns about their more um, illiberal um, ideas about law and order and so on. So they might be storing themselves up for a uh, problem, you know, much further down the line when that kind of dilutes what they're about. But I think overall it's good for them, but they do need to keep watch on what happens to their parliamentary party and then up by longer term the membership as well. Yeah, especially once Brexit is out of the exactly, way. Exactly, exactly, when they become more than just the stop Brexit party. Is that ever going to happen? Well, Brexit's <laughs> happening. <That's true. laughs> we can but dream. Uh, now Jeremy Corbyn was branded a chicken by Boris Johnson for refusing his demand for an election, but Labour and opposition parties are clear they want a guaranteed block to no deal before backing a snap poll. The question now is, will it happen before or after the October 31st Brexit deadline? Let's hear Keir Starmer explaining Labour's position. We're not going to vote with him. You're not? No, we're not going to dance to his tune. We've just got sufficient control of Parliament to get this bill through before Friday. We are not going to fall into the trap of handing control back to Johnson last thing tonight so that we can't complete on that task. What do you say to people at home who are going, you've asked for many, yep. for months and years indeed yep. for a general election and now you're going to not ask for one? We've said we want a general election and we want to prevent a no-deal Brexit. We are on the verge of stopping a no-deal Brexit. If we can get this bill through, we have succeeded in an insurance policy by Friday. Rachel, Labour have been calling for an election for years. What's going on? Yeah, ever since uh, Theresa May lost her majority and um, lost, lost the Conservatives' majority in 2017, um, he's been saying general election now, let the people decide we're on an election footing. Um, and it's come to the vote this week and they haven't backed it for... Um, for reasons which, you, if you're against no deal, are, are logical because they, they don't trust um, Boris Johnson to, to play by the rules. They think that the bill may not end up getting royal assent for some for, for some reason and um, they don't 
they don't feel able to, to trust him at this point. But the big question for them is whether they go now before the um, October 31st deadline. And I think that there's kind of a divergence of views within the, the party on that. I think some kind of say we should look like we're on the front foot and we should be going for it and we should be confident. And there are others who feel like um, they should use this opportunity to make Johnson eat his own position in a way and make him force him to actually be the one who goes to ask for the extension. Um, uh, use his prorogation against him, if you like. Do some of them want to delay because they're worried that they'll get trounced? Um, I, I, I suspect there are some who do feel like that, yeah, but none of them are going to say as much publicly. It's, you'll, all you will hear is fighting talk. <laughs> yeah, And I guess, you know, I mean, if you've been calling for an election for this long, you can't sustainably delay it for, for months on end. Yeah, sure. Chris, you know your way around Parliament, the Constitution, the law and so on. If you were advising Jeremy Corbyn, just... Picture yourself in that <laughs> probably strange situation <laughs> for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, what would be, when would be the time to go for an election? Do you wait <clears throat> for the bill to get royal assent or do you wait for it to be implemented as some people are saying Keir Starmer wants so you wait until mid-October? Because, I mean, that's the aim, block no deal and then we have an election. Does it matter when they... Uh, it's a hard one. I mean, I think the, the this... You know your your frit your chicken is is something that's preying on on the mind of uh, of quite a lot of the, the kind of Labour opposition sort of advisors and team around Corbyn and I think that's probably the reason why uh, they will I think on Monday I hate making predictions but you know we can cut this bit out of the podcast can't we <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think on Monday it seems like they've done a deal because the filibuster abruptly stopped at like half one in the morning last night in the House of Lords uh, and then the government's now said right we'll let you have the bill by five and I think there must be a deal being done where they uh, they let the bill get done they give it raw assent and then the election vote we've just seen the business announced for, th- for Monday only Monday um, and the last item of business is another two thirds vote uh, under the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. So that's my betting. That, and I think Corbyn's won out over the Keir Starmer view, which is, no, 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 we, we wait until uh, the uh, ink is dry on the, on the paper and the letters have been exchanged between the UK and the EU and it's all legally done. Because I think there are still some people who kind of believe that even if you get past royal assent, um, because that's kind of like the last veto, theoretical veto the government could use um, before it gets in on the statute books, then, uh, you know, what happens if Boris Johnson refused to send the letter as he has to under the statute, which uh, the Ben Burt bill says. Um, but, I mean, the courts act pretty damn quick these days. And, and I think, you know, there'd be legal effect and, and he'd probably have to do it. Though, I mean, I don't know what happens if, if he refuses to sign it and the, the courts say you have to sign it and he still refuses what, to sign it. What's the deadline mean, when he has to send the letter by? Is it uh, October 19th? 19th, 19th, I think. So he could, I mean, he has the election on the 15th, wins... Yeah, then, then he can just, he can exactly. just well, he can just yeah, exactly. overturn the bill, yeah. can't he? If he's well, got majority, if he's got majority, <laughs> oh, you, you can't, can't do that. Well, he no, he can, he can. I mean, he can, and uh, no doubt it will be in the manifesto. But I was kind of talking this out with someone last night, and um, actually, what could happen is is you need the agreement of both the Commons and the Lords, and it's fine if he wins the majority in the Commons, but the Lords could obviously has like 200 Labour uh, peers and 100 Lib Dems versus 200 Tories. So you could see that the peers, if they wanted to be really obstinate, just kind of sitting on their hands and say nah, no, we're not we're not going to let you we'll have another three months in uh, in the EU and there's nothing he could do because Parliament Act takes 13 months to, to kind of do, um, and if the Lords objected to it then uh, then, yeah, he wouldn't be able to, to uh, repeal the act. That said, I mean, 
I, I don't think realistically that's going to happen. It was just kind of one of those nice sort of <laughs> fantasy things I like dreaming about with the Constitution and sort of playing things out. But it, it's like a geek fest for me at the moment. Yeah, it's, it, it's the wildest things you can imagine are <clears> kind of coming true, stuff that you can't even imagine. Right, but anyway, if, if your prediction is correct, we're by the time we do this podcast next week, we'll be in an election campaign. Yep. Ned, who's going to win? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> <Steve> writer. <laughs> Oh, I'll say different answers and we'll cut them together depending on what happens. <laughs> you can just do a politician's answer if you want. And, no, okay, and I'll sit my neck out. Yeah? Why not? I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with another hung parliament. Yeah. Would be my, I'm sure, won't come true prediction. Let's go around the table then. Rachel? Who do I think will win? Um, I, I, I don't think, everyone assumes that Boris Johnson will win, but I don't see where lots of new support is, is really going to come from. If you look in at Scotland, there's a lot of polls saying that um, Ruth, Ruth Davidson's decision to stand down has been blamed on Johnson, is not going down very well at all, and that they'll lose a lot of MPs up there. Uh, if you look in Northern Ireland, the, the DUP's losing a lot of support because of it's a very pro-Remain uh, region of the country. Um, if you look at areas like the southwest, um, you could see the Lib Dems winning quite a few seats back there because it's quite kind of that kind of area for them um so i don't i don't see where boris johnson's support will come from at the moment but you could say a very similar thing about jeremy corbyn he appears to be losing a lot of support in the north um and with brexit voters so i really don't want to stick my neck out (laughs) (laughs) chicken Chicken. I'm glad no At least you didn't f- call me a big girl's blouse. Yeah, or <laughs> use the word frit, which is the most Westminster word around. Is that used anywhere else? Chris, uh, predictions? Uh, before I give it, I think it kind of depends on what's going to happen uh, on both sides in terms of maximising that kind of chunk of remain or leave voters on either side. So for the Boris, it depends on whether what happens with the Brexit party because if the Brexit party stands then uh, that's going to eat into chunks of the vote uh, that frankly will lose the party seats in the South West and will make it much harder for the for the Conservatives to win the seats that I think the trade-off they're trying to go for is that if they lose some southern South Western Lib Dem seats and others they, they might win some Labour ones in the, in the North um, and uh, you know, and then on the other side, obviously, it's what happens with between Labour and the Lib Dems. You know, is there going to be a kind of sort of rainbow pact about some people standing in some seats and others not to make sure that you know the best place candidate wins? It's going to be a bit. I mean, I like my history. I, I studied it at university, and and it's going to be a bit like the sort of coupon elections of uh, like Balfour and, and some of the others going back before the Second World War, where people kind of almost literally got you can go and see it like a letter signed by party leaders who were sort of signing this coupon together and saying, yeah, you are the authorised candidate for this kind of coupon. Um, so um, I think, yeah, it kind of it depends. I mean, I guess if the Brexit party sort of says, yeah, we'll do a deal with um, uh, with Boris Johnson and Conservatives because you're going all out for no deal, then I think there's a really strong chance the Conservatives will come back with the majority. If that doesn't happen, it's probably going to be hung Parliament territory, I would have thought. And and even then, I think it's it's a risk that the Conservatives won't be the largest uh, party because they'll just they'll just lose seats uh, and possibly even Boris uh, his own seat, which, yeah. which I happen to live in. So ah, okay, I think I think one thing that might come up again and again during the next election campaign is the issue of trust. Um, which I think is kind of being underlined again and again at the minute with the whole parliament shutdown. And I think if he's wanting to win seats, particularly in the north, mm. um, 
where it's all traditional labour, 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 labour. Yeah, they have to have a conservative leader they feel they can trust. To yeah, vote to for. make so, that big jump. Yeah, right? I mean, this was May's strategy in 2017. Mm. She spent a lot of time in West Yorkshire and so on, trying to win these Labour seats that she thought could go Tory, and they just didn't. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting though because we've had another couple of years of of, um, uh, of what. Cons- the Conservative campaign will paint as Labour MPs blocking Brexit, and so you can see I can see all the literature now in terms of like your MP blocked Brexit. They voted X number of times to stop us leaving, and um, you know our candidate will do it. So I just don't know how that's going to play out. And you, you talk to kind of sophologists and, and people who really know about this, and, and frankly, it, I mean they're tearing their hair out. I mean some of them don't have very much hair left, but <laughs> nothing wrong with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ned. <laughs> and we've gone full circle <laughs> around Ned's head. So it's time for the quiz. Oh, uh, oh, no. How do you think? How yeah, you don't get that. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's host privileges? That's not a thing. No. Okay, go on then. Um, yeah, I think hung Parliament, and I, I think anyone saying who's going to be the largest party is no one knows. But I think hung Parliament, and we'll we'll see how it shakes out after that. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> right, it's time for the quiz. Uh, and in honour of Dominic Cummings, uh, this week's edition is all about deselections. Um, there's no format to this quiz. Right. Let's just kind of say the answer if okay. you know it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Question number one Who was effectively deselected from the Tories in 1904? <sighs> Tumbleweed blows across the Well, I know it because I told Arch this question. Yeah, Ned's <laughs> so I'm not disqualified from this. Question. In 1904, can you give us a clue? It's a big name. I'm sorry, I don't It's know. a really, really big name. God, the tension. Uh, <laughs> oh, what was that? I don't suppose that was when Churchill crossed the floor, was it? Or Yeah, it was Churchill. Oh, all right, there we go. Correct. Uh, his local Tory association in Oldham passed a no-confidence resolution after he opposed the party over trade tariffs. Uh, he defected to the Liberals and was That's elected right. in 1906 and then later rejoined the Tories. Well done. <laughs> uh, question number two. Who asked Jeremy Corbyn to call off the dogs to stop moderate Labour MPs being driven out of the party by left-wing activists. It was Chucker, wasn't it? Correct. Yes. That's Chucker you know, <laughs> Last year. How, how long ago does that feel? And then there was a big row about, oh, he's called Labour members dogs. Yeah. Yeah, it turned into a massive problem. <laughs> yeah, he eventually quit anyway to help form Change UK and then quit that party and join the Lib Dems like everyone else. Uh, question number three. <laughs> Who controversially remains a member of the Lib Dems despite allegations of sexual harassment? Lord Renard. Yes, correct. Uh, the leader herself, Joe Swinson, has said the peer is not welcome, but he remains a Lib Dem member of the House of Lords. There we go, that's it. That's it for the quiz. I think it's 1-1-1. One, 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 yeah. one, oh. one, one between Ned and Chris. And <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm not sure I got one. Yeah. I'm going to give you a point for the... Um, Recalling of why he said call off the dog, so it's a draw oh, all right. round. Far too kind. One might say it's a hung podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to the guests, and make sure you subscribe to Common to People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday. 
and get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash war hyphen zone or follow the link in the notes for this episode. I'll just leave you with Tory rebel Philip Hammond's assessment of what's happened this week in Parliament. The second claim that is made against us is that by supporting this bill, we are handing power to the Leader of the Opposition. Mr Speaker, I would sooner boil my head than hand power to the Leader uh, of the Opposition. But the purpose of this bill, most of us will have no truck with the concept of a vote of no confidence. The purpose of this bill is to instruct this Government and this Administration how to conduct the UK's uh, future arrangements with the European Union. It is not an attempt, an attempt to remove this government. It is certainly not an attempt to hand power to the Leader of the Opposition. Uh, and, uh, Mr Speaker, um, uh, it's not us who are heightening the risk of a government led by the Leader of the Opposition. It is my right honourable friend by pursuing a course of action which, if unchallenged, can only lead to a no-deal Brexit. Yeah.